this is probably a week late, uh, this sermon. Uh, I would say a week late. I probably should have done it last week, but uh, we're going to do it today. Uh, we're talking, we're taking a, a, a short break. If you're following along on the, the sort of the flyers of our series outline, you'll notice that this is not on the series outline uh, because sometimes world events compel me to address them. And this is what it is. And in times of extreme conflict, which I would suggest that we are in, strife, upheaval, People need reassurance and direction, which God knows. God knows this because he made us and he provides it for us. And I would say, again, we are certainly in times of upheaval. So let's let's lay out a couple of scenarios, a couple of possible futures. All right, we're talking about Russia, Ukraine. And, you know, you, I don't know how much you guys are listening to the news or maybe you've, you've, for your own sanity, you just sort of tune out. But a couple of scenarios. Number one, let's call this the good scenario. Uh, Russia realizes probably not going to achieve what they want to achieve in Ukraine. There's uh, some peace treaties, some peace talks that, that take place, and, and people are willing to compromise, and, and Russia pulls out, and the conflict sort of subsides. That's, that's the good scenario. That could happen. Let's talk about the bad scenario. Impose a no-fly zone. NATO puts more troops in Ukraine. Russia, Putin's very prideful, starts to escalate. And a very possible outcome, not saying this is going to happen, but a very possible outcome is somebody begins using nukes. That could happen. It's a possibility. There's a third middle-of-the-road option, let's say, where a conflict escalates. But we, for whatever reason, because we realize that it would doom us all, don't use nukes. But there's still more war, more troops more death. These are all possibilities. Which is God's plan? I don't know. And neither do you. You don't have any idea. Now we might say, well, God's a loving God. He surely wouldn't want there to be nuclear war. That's possible. And yet... He did wipe out everybody in the flood. I can't say for certain that he does not want. Maybe he doesn't want. I could probably say that for certain. But I can't say for certain that nuclear winter is not on the table. I can't say for certain that he wants de-escalation entirely. I just don't know. I can, I can suspect. I can guess. I can postulates. What are we supposed to think about these things? And how are we supposed to react to this kind of conflict? Let's start with the hard questions. You think those are the hard questions? No, those are not the hard questions. Romans 13, 1 through 4. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, the avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Does this apply to Putin? Let you stew on that for a minute. How should Russian Christians interpret this passage? 
It's not nice to think about that. No authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. What about another one? 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. How should Russian Christians interpret this? What about Ukrainian Christians? You think the Russian Christians honor Putin? Man, you think you have it rough. You don't like Biden. And yet, what do we see here? Do we see any qualifications on the command? What about this one? Do we see any qualifications that Paul gives us, uh, except in this case? Except if nukes are at play. Wouldn't that be nice if that was the command here? But it's not. There's no qualifications. There's no exceptions given. There's no if, ands, or buts in this text or the Peter text. Right? It's not just Paul who's making this up. Right? Peter says the same thing. What are we supposed to do with this? How are we supposed to interpret this? What does this mean for Christians today? I like Habakkuk as we think about God's sovereignty. The word for today is sovereignty. God's control. Now, the word sovereignty specifically has to do with the rule or authority as a king, that he is sovereign and gets to make decisions as a king. His kingship is not just over the church, the kingdom of heaven, but God's kingship really is over all things. And as we think about God's sovereignty, we think about what's going on in the world, not just today, but we can think about throughout history, which we'll talk about in just a minute, when human rulers make things really bad. How do we deal with that? If we know that God is really the one in control, how do we reconcile that? Habakkuk had the same question. In Habakkuk's day, the leaders of Israel should have been God's leaders, godly people. Leaders of Israel were perpetrating violence and oppression against the lower classes, those who were not socioeconomically advanced. They were engaging in uh, theft through taxes and uh, making laws that made people's lives miserable. And they were ultimately preventing people from coming to God in the way that they should. And so Habakkuk, of course, complains. Habakkuk 1, 2 through 4. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. God, why are you not doing anything about this? Or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? God, your people are suffering. The rulers in Israel are making things horrible. Why are you just sitting there doing nothing? That's Habakkuk's question. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise so the law is paralyzed. The law is paralyzed. People are not being punished that should. People are being punished that should not. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. God, why? Why? And what does God say? Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. 
For I am doing a work in your days. This is God talking. I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They were expansionist in an expansionist empire. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. What is he saying? We have to kind of read between the lines here, but we can see in context. Habakkuk, don't worry. The Chaldeans are going to come punish. And Habakkuk's concern is justice, right? Your, your leaders in Israel are perverting justice. They are not being punished. Why is that? And God says, the Chaldeans are going to come. They're expansive. They're going to seize dwellings not their own. They're going to punish the evil rulers in Jerusalem, which Habakkuk does not like because he doesn't want another nation to do it. He wants Israel to remain independent and for the Israelite leaders to get their comeuppance but still have Israel. That's, God says, that's not what I'm going to do. The Chaldeans will come and they will punish. But then Habakkuk, of course, complains about that. One thirteen: you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up a man more righteous than he? What is he saying here? The, Cal the, the Israelite leaders are bad, God, but they're not as bad as the Chaldeans. Can you really just allow the Chaldeans, wicked, uh, godless people to swallow up Israel, the righteous people? How could you do that, God? Habakkuk 2, 6 through 8. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him, against Cal, uh, the Chaldeans, with scoffing riddles to him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. How long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be the spoil for them. He's talking to the Chaldeans here in symbolic language. Because you have plundered many nations. They were an expansionist empire. And all the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of men and violence to the earth and to cities and to all who dwell in them. Habakkuk. God, why do you let people in Israel be oppressed? God says, don't worry, the Chaldeans will solve all that. They're going to come and conquer. Habakkuk replies, well, that's even worse. I don't want that either. And God says, oh, don't worry, the Chaldeans will get theirs too. Those who con conquer and plunder others, they will be plundered. This is not how Habakkuk wanted it to go, but this is what God had decided to do. The people in Israel who were oppressive leaders would be removed, and the ones who removed them for their godless ways, the Chaldeans, they would also be removed. And we see this in the interplay of nations throughout history. People are wicked, they are destroyed. Those people are wicked, they are destroyed. And this cycle will perpetuate how long? Until Jesus comes back. We could read Psalm 103.19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. But what does that mean? It's easy to say that God is in control but what does that mean if we enter a nuclear winter? How could God do that? And how can we justify or understand the terrible dictators and tyrants that have existed sometimes for decades or even centuries at a time? Not the same guy, obviously, but dictatorial empires that rise up and last for centuries at a time that prevent people from having free, happy societies. What do we do about that? How do we reconcile that with what we know about God's nature. And our problem is twofold. Simultaneously, we are too limited in our perspective, and we are also too reductive. What do I mean by reductive? 
We take complicated situations and we treat them like they're easy. Governments are in composition, just collections of individuals. We reduce the government to a monolithic entity. But they're collections of individuals, each of whom God must allow to have free will if his plan of redemption is to mean anything, right? We want free will to exist. I want free will to exist. And if I want free will to exist for me, then it must also, by its very nature, exist for others, including people like Putin, including people like any number of dictators that you can think of throughout history. And not only the dictators themselves, but the people in their governments that support and prop them up, that refuse to depose them. They have free will. They can choose, right? They get to make their own decisions. I don't want God to suddenly start overriding everybody's free will, right? You don't want that. And I don't want that either. I want to be able to choose for myself what I'm going to be doing. And you and I, we, I should say we, which is why I have it in my notes, we cannot possibly comprehend the interaction of 7 billion free people. Free, not in the free in the sense of governments, but free as in God is allowing them to choose whether to be wicked or righteous. Can you, you can't, none of us can possibly comprehend what God is balancing. Not only 7 billion free people, people who are free to be wicked or righteous, but of course the larger framework of his eternal plan, which I know he has because he's told me over and over, I have a plan, right? He has a plan. I don't exactly know all the details of that plan, but I know that plan has to involve 7 billion people being allowed to choose whether to be righteous or wicked, and the amount of details that go into that, that God is balancing, that I, I just can't possibly understand all the different components to that. People who are free to make their own decisions while also God directing them to his plan, his eternal plan, according to his will. All I can say is I'm glad I'm not God. So we look at the world, and we see suffering, and we see horrible things. And at a certain point we have to understand that the result of that is because God lets you pick. Don't reduce it to them. God lets them pick. God lets you pick. And the result is what we see in the world. People choosing, individuals choosing over and over again to be selfish, to be cruel, to be hurtful. And yet we all understand that I still want the ability to choose. I want free will. I want to be able to choose to love God. And I want others to be able to choose to love God. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with either eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Who's going to be the sons of God? Those who have chosen to be the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility. Futility is an interesting word. Uh, vanity would be a word that is used in Ecclesiastes a lot, right? Uh, uselessness. It's, it's not accomplishing what it's supposed to accomplish. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What futility has creation be subjected to? I would suggest to you that the futility is our ability to choose. Specifically, our ability to choose wickedness is the futility. From the beginning, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel. And then what entered into the world is death, right? Death entered into the world because of that. Our ability to choose specifically wickedness that creates an opportunity for sin to enter into the world, for the devil to work into the world and to cause all sorts of suffering and chaos. But it's not just the devil that's causing suffering, it's us. We are the ones causing the suffering. We, humanity, collectively. And what does that suffering and futility lead to? Exactly what we see in Ukraine. And what we've seen in dictatorships all throughout history. That there are sufferings in this present time. There will be suffering in this present time. That is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Hope for what? Well, ultimately what we're hoping for is something that will not happen on earth. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for we hope who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with Patience. I'm waiting for something that will not happen here. Peace. And even if the Russia-Ukraine situation resolves peacefully, thousands have still already lost their lives. Those families are broken, never to be restored. And even if Russia and Ukraine resolves peacefully, it'll happen again. Because people are selfish. And earthly rulers are selfish. And even if we don't have war on a large scale, people will suffer here in our local community because humans are selfish. Right? I am hoping for and waiting for something that ultimately will not happen on earth. But I wait for it eagerly with patience, the redemption of our bodies, the adoption that I will enter into God's presence and I won't have to deal with these things, which is why he says, right? He says that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed when there won't be any of this stuff. We keep reading in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us, for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I'm glad it's not according to my will, because my will is limited and understanding is faulty. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. A Russian Christian reading Romans 13, submit to the government, then reading this passage. What, what, what are we supposed to take from that? 
A Ukrainian Christian who is under extreme duress reads a passage like Romans 8.26, all things work together for good. What does that mean? For those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. It's important and, and vital that we understand this. The promise that all things work together for good complements, not contradicts, the assurance that suffering will come. There is suffering in this present time, and yet still, God works all things together for good for those who love him. Not ultimately physical good, and we know that that must be the case then. So as we sort of wrap this up, God is in control, but, but what? He's allowed people to choose their course of action, including people who acquire great earthly power. Now, I know that God is directing them in some way. I don't know exactly what that way is, and I don't know exactly how he has all that planned out. In Habakkuk, we get a brief peek behind the curtain, and it's clear that God is not doing things the way that I necessarily would want them. He wasn't doing things the way Habakkuk wanted them. He was doing them the way that he had them planned. But his plan is not to create an earthly utopia. That was never the plan. I say that. That was the original plan. And then Adam and Eve messed it up. Took what? I don't know. Three verses. Could have been who knows how long. The earthly utopia that we create, that God created, but because he wants us to be free, we messed it up. We lost that. So his plan now, I don't think, is to create an earthly utopia. We've tried that already. It didn't work. His plan is to provide a place for people to be redeemed by Christ, no matter what government they live under. And it might sound callous to say this, but people in Ukraine and Russia, even in a time of war, can still evangelize, can still teach others the gospel, and in fact, I would say, might have better success. Because God's plan is ultimately not to create an earthly utopia. It is to provide people opportunities for redemption. To wait for the better thing that will be eternal, that will not happen here, but will be eternal nonetheless. The thing that we eagerly wait for with patience, right? And no matter what, no matter how it seems now, two things that you need to understand, that we all need to understand. Those who act selfishly and wickedly will receive recompense. Those who are cruel and wicked to others will absolutely receive recompense. And those who faithfully endure will receive hope fulfilled. No matter how it seems now, that's going to happen regardless. And yet I still should want even the people who have done the worst things, shouldn't I want them to move out of condemnation and into redemption? Even the people that I hate the most because of what they've done, I still should want them to receive forgiveness, shouldn't I? Because I want forgiveness for the things that I've done. We'll end with Romans 11.33. This was read for us, and I wanted to get it in our minds, so as we think about this idea, we come back to this ultimate application for ourselves. Romans 11.33, Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments. I don't know. 
what his ultimate plan for Ukraine is. How inscrutable, inscrutable, I can't really figure it out, are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? The answer, the implied answer is what? Nobody. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Again, the implied answer, nobody. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. To him be glory forever, amen, even in these momentous times. Because I know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Not the good that I perceive, not the good that I necessarily want, but the good that God wants will still happen. And so what's the point? The therefore here, and we often don't tie these together. We've read Romans 12, 1 and 2 a lot, but do we tie it back to the unsearchable nature of God, his, his inscrutable judgments? Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Mercies what? I don't know what he's doing, but I know it's for my benefit. The mercy that he gives me, even though I don't deserve it, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Including, how do I live under a tyrannical regime? Including, how should I think about some of these despots. Am I presenting myself as this living sacrifice? Doing to the best of my ability in whatever circumstance I find myself. This is a circumstance agnostic command. No matter what is going on in your life, am I doing my best to discern God's will and to live it out? Even commands I don't like. Even commands I may not understand. Because I know that God is king over all. And he's worthy of my obedience regardless.